from 92 until 2018, America lost ground on Europe. I and mean, we had the latest technology and lifts. Vail had the first detachable quads. They were T-bars and trams in Europe. But Europe really leapfrogged past the North American experience. And it was becoming clear that there's a gap that needed to be filled and that we as a company and with Big Sky as the lead can help transform the North American ski experience. Welcome to the storm, live. Stuart Winchester here on the ground in Big Sky, Montana. Not only is Big Sky America's third largest ski area after Palisades, Tahoe and Park City, but it is one of the most rapidly evolving. Since 2016, the resort has installed a staggering nine aerial lifts, including the one they opened today, a new 75 passenger Lone Peak tram that replaces the 15 passenger machine built in 1995. We will get right into Big Sky in a moment. Real quick, I wanna give a huge shout out to my sponsor and one that I used to stay warm on Lone Peak this morning, Hoptronics Ski Boot Foot Warmers and Heated Socks. I love skiing. I love being outside in the winter. I hate having cold feet. I'm one of those people who my feet freeze up even when the temperature is well above freezing. And I grew up in Michigan, so I know what cold is, but you don't have to endure it like I used to. Instead, do what I did and set yourself up with some Hotronic XLPC foot warmers in your ski boots. If you've had Hotronics before, I wanna tell you that the C-Series is the best on the market. With a new, larger anatomical shape, but with smaller, lighter batteries that perform in temperatures down to 22 degrees below zero. Unlike disposable foot warmers, Hotronics don't charge your feet with fireplace toes, Instead, your toes just won't get cold. If you don't want to go with the full boot setup just yet, you can also opt for the Hotronic XLP 2PBT heated socks. These socks offer the best size to capacity ratio and longevity on the market with up to 18 hours of continuous heating power. And maybe best of all, this new generation of Hotronics products is Bluetooth enabled meaning you can manage them from the Hotronic Heat app. It's time to ditch the tough guy mentality. Skiing should not be an exercise in managing discomfort. Hook yourself up with Hotronics boot warmers or heated socks this ski season. Click the link in the banner on the podcast article to get started. All right, back to Big Sky. The energy on the ground this morning was just crazy, just amazing. This tram is sleek, it's fast, and it is beautiful, and you absolutely need to work a Big Sky run into your winter for this lift alone. I could rave about this thing all day long, but let's hear about it from the folks who built it. Right now I am here with Big Sky President Taylor Middleton and Big Sky General Manager Troy Nedved. Did I get it right this time, Troy? You did. Okay, I managed to massacre it in one of our stand-up <laughs> videos in the spring, so glad I got it here. You know, this is an awesome day. I really appreciate the invitation down here. It's a really amazing machine to ride. Uh, Taylor, you were you gave some remarks before the first public tram ride about the identity that the skiers and the workers and the infrastructure and all these things together made about the resort. I was wondering if you could reset that here because I thought it was really great, really insightful. Well. I've lived in ski town for over four decades and ski towns have their own culture. There's no doubt about that. 
And some ski towns don't have good cultures, right? Uh, fortunately, the community of Big Sky, we've, we've got a good vibe here. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's a vibe of happiness. It's a vibe of fun. It's a vibe of recreation. It's a vibe of cooperation and communication. And uh, how, how does that happen? Uh, community members that are really engaged and charitable and uh, involved in the school and the ski mountain and the ski area being involved and engaged in the community. When the vibe feels good, it feels really good in a ski town. And when it feels bad, it can feel really bad. We're lucky because Big Sky has one of those good feeling ski town vibes. And you have been able to watch the evolution of that vibe probably more than almost anyone. You arrived here in 1980 when this place was a handful of lifts off Andesite, nothing on Lone Peak. What has it been like to watch that evolution from kind of this Montana backwater into maybe the most sophisticated ski resort in North America as far as the lift infrastructure goes with the opening of this tram today? Well, you know, it was different. 40 years ago, it was a much smaller town. There were only 20 kids in the school. Now there are 400 kids in the school. Uh, so it's evolved from being a really small town where practically everyone knew everyone to a community where we have 3,600 residents and you can't know everyone. Uh, so it's different. It's more sophisticated in its lifts. It's more sophisticated in its residential amenities. Like we have a hospital now. We have a high school now in this town. We have a hardware store. A hardware store doesn't sound too exciting until you need a plunger at 5.30 in the afternoon and you don't have to drive 100 miles to get it, right? So the, the town has evolved a lot, but it was a good town then and it's even a better town now. So 43 years, where does this day rank in the excitement spectrum of all the days you've experienced at Big Sky over the past four plus decades? Well, it's as big as they get. Uh, you only get to, to grand open a new tram uh, once, once in a lifetime, really. Uh, but, but I will tell you- But you got two. But I got two, yeah. <laughs> uh, I will tell you that any time a, uh, a ski resort operator is bringing something new and big to life, whether it be a tram today or a D-line first of its type in America, a few years ago, or building a convention center, mm -hmm. or building a new hotel, or getting a hospital, or getting a high school, Every one of those moments uh, is accretive and each one feels as good as the other. But let's not uh, ignore how we feel today and how I feel today. It is special. Troy, I'd love to get your take on that as well. I, I know you've not quite been here since 1980, I don't think, but, but a really long time. When did you get to Big Sky? And, and as you think about this day, how special is this compared to all the other things you've seen, the momentous occasions of Big Sky? Great question. You know, we've had a lot of them in recent years. When I, I arrived the year after the tram, so in 1996, and that's really what brought me here. It's what put Big Sky on the map. But having this new machine now is, it's almost surreal, especially, you know, the three-year process of 
imagining, designing, building this machine is, is quite mind-blowing. And the amount of collaboration and creativity that it took to bring it to life is unbelievable. It's a little bit different machine than the last tram. I mean, that one could carry 15 passengers. This carries 75, which is probably really exciting for some people and probably really scary for other people because one of the special things about Lone Peak is that not that many people can ski it. Talk a little bit about how you're gonna manage skier volumes, even with this bigger machine to preserve that experience up top. Yeah, you know, we've stated from the start that the size and the capacity of this machine was built to go well beyond skiers and riders. And that's for scenic in the winter, summer, and in the future, probably 12 months a year. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, it's a lot different to having five times that capacity. And many people were concerned, but we've been committed to preserving that premier ski experience on, on the peak. We, uh, we're gonna monitor it and we're gonna manage it at a level at which it stays to be the best skiing in North America. And with that, we have a menu, we have a plan. And in our first year, we don't know if that will stick. We'll adjust if we need to, but we're starting small and we'll build from there. And we're pretty confident that we're gonna preserve that experience up top. So it sounds like a thoughtful evolution. Taylor, Troy just said he got here the year after the tram. You were here for 15 years before the tram was built. That lift completely changed the way people thought about Big Sky. It was considered largely an intermediate mountain before that. Talk about that transformation, what it was like to live through that and how fast that actually happened. Right, it happened very, uh, very rapidly. Uh, we knew that the tram would mean a lot accessing the top of Lone Peak, which is so iconic and seemingly impossible to get to and ski from, but we figured out how to do it and our community and our skiers helped us figure out how to do it. Um, our skier visitation grew by about 20% in that first year. So we were, uh, we wondered if our investment would pay off and how quickly, and it rewarded us with a very quick payoff. Uh, to your question, that was a moment in time when Big Sky transitioned from being a very strong local regional resort to being on the national stage. What was it like to live through that? Because Montana is filled with these kind of off the radar, but good ski areas, Montana Snowball and Discovery and Great Divide and Red Lodge. Any one of them maybe could have become Big Sky, but Big Sky became Big Sky, right? So what, what was that like to live through? And just, you were at this local Montana bump and it, and it became this world-class resort. Right. Um, Gosh, there are great ski areas in Montana, Bridger Bowl, Red Lodge, uh, uh, Whitefish. There's just so many. But Big Sky is blessed with the vertical drop, the uh, acreage of, of the mountain, uh, a lot of sun and a lot of consistent snowpack. So we had these, these natural ingredients that you can't build, mm -hmm. you, uh, you have to have them and then build around them uh, to what they are. And that's what gave Big Sky a, a bigger opportunity than anyone else in Montana had. Mm -hmm. It was the mountain of Lone Peak. Probably the unique feature that 
made Big Sky Big Sky was Lone Peak. Troy, I want to ask you about, it was a really challenging place from an engineering point of view, right? And there's a lot of wind and you had to be really careful. I'm sure you learned a lot from the old tram. Talk a little bit about what you learned from operating the old tram for 28 years and how you applied those lessons to the new tram to help maybe with some wind mitigation so that thing can run as often as possible. Yeah, the um, the alignment is dramatically different from the first. You know, the the original Lone Peak tram was protected by the cirque of, of Lone Peak. And this new alignment, you're exposed to that wind out of the southwest. You're also exposed to those amazing views as well. But we knew that we had to engineer it in a way in which would be able to handle a little bit more wind than the prior machine. And hence, that's why this machine has those robust track ropes that allow for that lateral stability and allows it and the weight in the machine and all of, there's many factors that get calculated into how it becomes more wind resistant and fits and, and works in this alignment. What an incredible machine. I couldn't believe when you're going up, how fast the down car passes you. It looks like it's falling off a building. Did that surprise either you guys? It, so I knew the number that obviously the variation was 45 miles yeah. an hour difference, uh -huh. but it was a wow factor when I first saw it. It was at full speed. It was pretty unbelievable. Oh, if you impressive. blink, you'll miss it. Yeah. <laughs> it's unbelievable. So the old Lone Peak tram, the cables are gone, but the top and bottom station is still in place. The old tram cars are in fact still sitting there uh, on the bottom terminal. Uh, Taylor, what can you tell us about plans for the top and or bottom terminals? Because you were gonna take out the top terminal. I understand that's not the plan anymore. Well, it's still being planned. Uh, there, The bottom terminal is going to sit safe as it is for a while. The top uh, station is going to get reconfigured into a, a scenic coffee, pastry, very light food place. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, our pedestrians can stay up there a while, and uh, you'll just have to wait and see how we build that out and when we build that out. We'll also retain a patrol station on the summit of Lone Peak, and although it's going to move from its current configuration, it will stay up there. How about the cars? Ah, super secret. Okay, all right. Well, I, I will. Uh, I will revisit that one soon. Troy, an important piece of. Big Sky's lift infrastructure is the Powder Seeker lift. And it was a six pack lift, it's not that old. I think it went in in 2016, correct yes, me if I'm wrong. 2016. So on the trail map, it's only a couple runs. So it seems like a very beefy lift. You used to use it to get to the old tram. You don't need to anymore. Talk about Powder Seeker. And, it, and actually I was told the other day that you actually added eight chairs onto it this year. So I'm looking at it, oh, it's only two trails. Maybe you don't need a six pack there anymore. But I, I think from your point of view, I'd love to hear your perspective on the future of Powder Seeker and its place in Big Sky's lift fleet. You know, as the gondola comes online and we have all of this uh, high capacity of, of driving skiers and riders up the mountain to this location and utilizing the tram, I think Powder Seeker is gonna be in high demand. I think it'll change. I think the skiability of it might change to the point where it, there's a lot of acreage in the bowl in an upper morning star, and it's always been a special place, right? You get up to the top of Powder Seeker and you're looking up at the big Kular, and it's it's spectacular skiing. So I think Powder Seeker will carry a big role moving forward in the guest experience 
especially with that increased capacity up to 2,400 uh, PPH, it's, it's gonna be pretty special. And, and I think it's gonna complement the experience that we have right here with the tram and the gondola interface as well. Taylor, one thing I wanna ask you about is the change this year to paper ride on the tram. It was paper day. You switched to paper ride for the new tram. Talk about why you made that transition and why that makes more sense for the guest. I'd love to talk about it, but Troy is the expert oh, on let's that. let's do it. <laughs> let's go to Troy. Uh, the question was the transition from one to the next. You know, yeah. we always wanted to have a per ride option and technically we had to get through, overcome some technical challenges to get there. We got there and finally have it. And now we have it to be more cost uh, or reasonably cost, mm -hmm. more accessible to more individuals. And, and we're pretty happy to have that online. All right, let's talk about some fun stuff here. I'm on the tram for the first time. Where do I go? I'll start with you, Troy, and then I'll ask you the same question, Taylor. If it's your first time ever, Liberty Bowls, that's gotta be where you start. I mean, it, it's a beautiful run, Southern exposure. It, it is just enormous. I think it catches everyone's attention as to how large it is uh, once you get there. I, I think that's where you start. Beyond that, you know, there are so many other options, but that's where you wanna go. Taylor, you yeah. concur? Yeah, and if you're a, uh, a really capable skier, you go where the wind has been blowing. Mm. What's your favorite run off the tram, Taylor? Well, my favorite run, if I look at a historic uh, factor, was skiing the big couloir with my youngest mm. daughter when she was 10. Uh, but, uh, uh, and then anytime you get to ski a couloir with your daughters, that's a pretty big deal. Yeah. Uh, there was one very memorable run I had off the tram uh, the year after we opened it in 1996 in March, and I was skiing with a photographer, Mark Moosh, that you whom you might know as Father David, was also a, a great photographer. And uh, Mark was shooting a, uh, a photo uh, piece for Skiing Magazine written by Josh Lehrman. And we were uh, very early in the morning before the terrain had opened. We were standing up the top of the first gully and Mark had been shooting all morning and he was changing the canister film roll in his, uh, in his Nikon and he dropped his canister at the very top of the first gully and we watched it bounce and spin and flip and jump until it went out of sight at the bottom of the gully. And uh, we thought our day had been ruined. Uh -huh. We skied the gully and unbelievably to us all, we found his uh, film canister. So that was one of the most memorable. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Troy, can you beat that? That's quite a story. Um, I have one that's quite memorable as well. You know, Taylor, you may remember this. We had our golden ticket event where we did a heli skiing event for one season pass holder or with two friends, so, so three individuals in May, first week of May. And we had a run off the top of the summit out of the pockets, so above the gullies, the pockets, so third pocket through third gully, all the way down to the bottom of the bowl, right to the helicopter and back up. Amazing. It was undoubtedly my most memorable run at Big Sky. 
unbelievable. I'll throw mine in there. It was one we did last year. That was North Summit Snowfield, right? Yes. Yeah, that was, uh, that was, uh, it seemed like it was a five mile long run. I mean, it, yes. was, it was just went on and on and on. And then you ski down into the resort. So we'll finish with this. Taylor, you've obviously been here for the entire time. What was your favorite memory of the old Lone Peak Train? Gosh. Um, the old Lone Peak Tram was beautiful in its direct route to the top of the peak, uh, through the ravine, going up under the, 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 uh, the shadow of Lone Peak up above the gully. And I just loved riding that thing up early in the morning when the, the, the day was dawning and uh, there would be a big fog layer down below you and you would break through that fog layer to the sun of the day. Amazing. Troy, what was your favorite memory of the old tram? You know, closing day last year, I, it, it was unbelievable how many people within our community came together, celebrated the level of emotion that we experienced that day blew me away as to how attached our community is and was to that machine. Do you get the sense that, just a quick follow up on that, the local community, is it a, a bittersweet goodbye? Are, are, are people mad? Are they, are they, did they pretty much get it that this new machine is the direction Big Sky needed to go? And what's the sentiment? Yeah, it's been, the, the community sentiment has been high fives all the yeah. way. It's been, they've been along for the ride. They celebrated the old, they, they've celebrated and welcomed the new, and it's been really cool. I mean, the energy we felt today, uh, people were just so happy to be a part of it. Awesome, just walk off on that. Thank you, Troy, appreciate Thank you. you. Thank you, Taylor, appreciate you. That was Troy Nadved and Taylor Middleton. Between the two of them, they have 70 years on the ground at Big Sky which surely gives that mountain one of the most experienced and established top leadership teams in the country. But I have to tell you, I've met the leaders of most of Boyne's 10 ski areas, and they're just a fantastic group all around. That sort of culture starts at the top, and I was fortunate to catch a few minutes with Boyne Resorts CEO, Stephen Kircher today as well. Let's see what he had to say. So Stephen, you've put in dozens of lifts over the last several years around the Boyne Resorts. How big of a deal is this one compared to all the other projects that you've worked on? <laughs> well, this is so different. It's so quintessential, high alpine mountain. You know, it's quintessential lift. You know, all of us grew up with the tram being the alpha dog, I guess, of all lifts. And, and this is finally maybe us executing the alpha dog of lifts so it you know it, you know obviously our d lines are extraordinarily important and you know significant installations but a tram and obviously the gondola that's following up with this that connects with this tram those are the apex of lift infrastructure you know certainly the most expensive if you will but they're also the most experiential we just rode together uh, obviously going up that mountain and there's really nothing else like being on a tram, it is unique. Whether it's a Jackson, Palisades, obviously, and, 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 and now Big Sky obviously enters truly that ethos in North America of having that experience. And, uh, and it takes, embraces the high Alpine 
terrain that Big Sky is in a, in a bigger way than probably anyone ever imagined when they ride it. it, it, it it's it's eye-opening as you, you and I both experienced together. It, it is a phenomenal machine and it, it is an incredibly smooth ride. It, it is without question the most sophisticated ski lift I've ever been on in my life. And it's an evolution, as you said, for Big Sky. You've had a Triumph since 1995. That machine completely changed the profile of Big Sky. Before it was considered very much an intermediate mountain almost instantly became an expert's paradise with the building of that lift. How do you see the new tram further evolving Big Sky and your vision for the resort over the coming decades? Well, you know, this builds on that foundation that was, you know, created when, when the Lone Peak tram, the original one went in. Obviously that was a jig back, it was a jig back gondola. It was tram-like or tram light, I guess. You know, this is the real deal. It also is the backbone of the lift infrastructure that's going to connect the mountain village all the way to the top and literally four different food and beverage experiences on the way. And so, you know, the foundation was set, obviously putting Big Sky on the map, extraordinarily important era to, to have that terrain and, and, and to be able to position Big Sky as not just an intermediate mountain, which it really was before that to some degree. So this, obviously embraces all of which the original tram was, but it creates an entirely different set of opportunities. Not to mention from a ski perspective, you can ski cycles, laps, if you will, on the south wall and come back here. You know, the, the dictator shoots, Marks and Lennon, you can come down and ski all that amazing terrain, 2000 vertical in a cycle, which the original tram wouldn't let you do. You know, it broadens that ski palette, but it also opens up this incredible I mean, it, it, it's going to change the way people view Big Sky. And it's not, and we're only, you know, started with that process with the food and beverage and, and the connection with the gondola and, and, and the summer opportunities that it opens up. I mean, truly creating a vibrant summer operation and, and, and bringing people to this high alpine terrain that never experienced it before. We had a, you know, a small operation with the Lone Peak Expedition that brought, you know, 15 at a time. This will, you know, be a tourist draw for Southwest Montana from our perspective. Mm -hmm. Hundreds of thousands of people being able to experience this that wouldn't otherwise have been able to do that. So, and it's gonna drive activity and energy in the village and allow us to create a true mountain village that then, you know, broadens again, the perspective and the experience of what Big Sky is. Hotels, restaurants, shops, you know, everything that, you know, if you go to the European, great European destinations and certainly some of our better ones in North America, the Whistlers, the, the Vales and whatnot, having the energy that, that the volume of, of four season operations create and make it economically sustainable to do that, we're on the cusp of, of making that, that leap. So I'm pretty excited about what this means in the long term and where we've come. It, it's an incredible transformation. And certainly from when your father purchased the resort back in the 1970s, your family legacy is really strong here at Big Sky. I, two part question, one, what do you think your father would think of all this? And two, your brother, John, the first tram, really he built it through his will. Your dad didn't want it from what I understand. What is John's legacy at Big Sky? And, and what, how much does it mean to you to be able to continue that vision with this new amazing machine? Well, you know, dad's perspective, obviously, you know, he lived in an era where, you know, you didn't ski stuff like, which is up there, right? So dad's perspective was, um, you know, the Sun Valleys of the world and certainly our Michigan train, you know, steep was 30 
30 degrees, mm -hmm. not 45 degrees. So, so the idea of skiing a one-to-one -one slope was incomprehensible to him. You know, my brother had been dabbling with skiing that, that, that terrain, you know, the, the hike up, you know, experience here that was in existence before the tram went in. You know, they were testing the ability for people to actually control and ski that safely. So my brother had obviously an inside track on what was possible and and certainly saw that potential so you know I, I give him credit for you know pushing it obviously uh i was back in michigan by the way when dad said you're canceling it i went in the office and we spent about two hours and and john and i basically tag teamed to to keep it on track <laughs> um it was certainly uh clear to me and clear to john that this was the future of big sky mm -hmm. and, and you know but john gets the credit for being the visionary on it without a doubt um what would John think of this? Obviously, he knew this was underway before he passed um, earlier this year, unfortunately. And um, it was, you know, he he knew this was, well, he knew his installation had, days were numbered. I mean, it was a temporary installation. It was, it was positioned on a glacier, a rock glacier that was moving. And I think the original estimates were 10 15 years in fact we got 28 was was maybe a small miracle mm -hmm. so it extended its life was extended uh, beyond what it, we thought it might be um this is obviously a permanent installation that you know i i hope that if i'm 120 um <laughs> it's still there if i make it to 120 but certainly it's gonna it'll make big sky's 100th birthday mm -hmm. and, um, as i said before it is the backbone of this interconnected lifts to infrastructure and experience that is going to, you know, transform Big Sky one one more step as we, we go down the journey of, um, you know, what it can be. So staying on the top of your family and the Kircher's, Stephen, I've been, I've gotten to know your son, Everett. I, I've been very impressed with him. I think his Kircher Concepts business really fills a, a really cool niche in, in skiing that had not been filled before. And uh, he seems to have a great mind for skiing. And I was talking to some folks and it, it seems like he actually had a lot of input into this project which is amazing because uh, the kid's a, a senior in college, you know how old he is, early 20s. But talk a little bit about Everett uh, and his mind for skiing and just what you see as his potential. Well, he uh, has, you know, since a, a, his very young childhood been, has been fascinated with lifts, mm -hmm. lift infrastructure, and, you know, became probably an encyclopedia like, like Peter from LiftBlog. I, I put Everett only second to Peter probably mm -hmm. in, in the knowledge of, of lift infrastructure in North America. Um, obviously the folks working for the companies are, are, are right in there with him, but he has an amazing engineering mind. He is, he's got vision. He's very um, detail oriented. You know, his Kircher concept shows that he can execute, you know, highly detailed plans and bring them to life. And in his mind, he brings things, things to life before they become, you know, real within the, the renditions that he's created of, of these things. And he's, he's helped us envision what's possible through that process too. What's interesting, we use him for planning as much as we do the promotional side of things. Mm -hmm. But he's he's got a, a great mind for the business. Certainly um, he's got to learn different aspects of it. You know, got other siblings that are, you know, also on, on similar paths, but Everett's unique and his passion and understanding of, of this mountain in particular and what's possible, he was instrumental in helping as guide and the discussion on what and where this was going to go and, and, you know, integrating this, you know, we did not have this in the, the tram replacement was actually not in big sky 2025, mm -hmm. at least this 
early in the process. It might have started at the tail end of it. And we didn't have this connection to the gondola at the beginning. And it was Everett and, and uh, others, you know, involved in this conversation to, to really bring to life this idea that this could be interconnected top to bottom. He also gets credit for pushing the eight place. I mean, we, we would probably not have done the first eight place if it wasn't for Everett. And he said, you know, you know, grandpa did the first triple, the first quad, the first six, right. we got to do the first eight place. And, uh, and I went down to, you know, had a beer with one of the Doppelmayr guys and, and he basically said, we're going to do it together. Um, it was Randy Woolwine. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I went back to Everett and said, we're, we're going to do it. And, and it was his urging that basically got us over the hump and embracing the D line. It was clear the D line technology was the future and Everett gets credit for pushing that as as he said to me, he said, look, dad, are you, you know, would you buy an Audi from brand new Audi from 1992 today? Or would you buy a brand new Audi of today or a Tesla of today? You know, why would you buy a 90s technology today? And that's really what honestly everybody else is doing if they're not buying D-Line. Mm -hmm. um, the D-Line and this tram are going to exist for 50 years. So, you know, we're building this for the long term, as crazy as it might seem, you know, from an economic perspective, but we're leaning in for a generational approach to this. And uh, hopefully, I think people are, are seeing the experiential difference that these lifts have. Our, our, you know, our teams and the way you maintain them, the reliability, the, the incredible advances with the you know, direct drive and, and mm -hmm. all that, these lifts, all of them have the reliability factor of, you know, many times what the, what the older technologies have. And, and they're not, we're not going to replace this in 20 years. Like most others are going to have to be replacing the lifts 20, 25 years. So I'm excited about that. And Everett, Everett has his fingerprints on that. What's really impressive about him having influence on this project is you're working with some of the best lift engineering minds in the world. And you are at Boyne, Doppelmeyer House, top to bottom, at least for new installations. I know you have some legacy lifts. Vale tends to split 50-50, so does Altera. Why do you stick with Doppelmeyer? What is it about that relationship between Doppelmeyer and Boyne that, because you have a big network and you're replacing a lot of lifts and it might be easier if you if you parsed out that work a little bit, but you're all, all Doppelmeyer. So talk about that relationship, why that's so important to you and why you are so firmly committed to Doppelmeyer. Well, well, first and foremost, it's a 40 plus year relationship mm -hmm. you know, from Arthur Doppelmeyer and Michael. Um, you know, it's a family relationship that goes back, you know, we were, we, we did some of the first quads together, at least the, the, the early second generation quads together, the first sixth place in the world we did together as a collaboration, you know, so our, we got that deep connection, in the past, and we firmly believe they've had the best technology throughout, maybe not in every decade, you know, I think there's been a horse race a bit, but from our perspective, they've been the leaders and they are currently the leaders and, and the relationship is deep. And, you know, when you're, when you're buying lift equipment too, you, you, you want uniformity across your footprint, having lifts that are odd ducks, especially when you're getting aggressive and in, in, in replacing a lot of lifts, the experience from one to the next, we feel should be comparable and the aesthetics, the functionality, all those things play into, you know, having you know, a comprehensive experience on the mountain and the lifts are, are obviously a huge part of it. They call it a lift ticket for a reason, as I kind of joke with people. So, um, and the other thing is, I mean, this is maybe tongue in cheek, but you know, we serve Coke, we don't serve Pepsi. We do Doppelmeyer, we don't do, you know, Brand X. So that's, that's kind of us. We're, we're loyal maybe to a fault long-term, 
but we believe we're loyal to the best of the best and uh, it's more expensive, mm -hmm. likely, especially not playing the companies against each other, yeah. but long-term and our teams appreciate it, you know, who are trying to maintain these beasts, mm -hmm. you know, having the lift parts and understanding the equipment and the electronics and having support from the same people. Yeah, we've got some odd ducks at some of the resorts, but for the most part, you know, we're moving swiftly towards you know, almost our entire fleet, the core of it being Doppelmayr. Our last big question for you here, Stephen, and then I got some little ones for you. When you're standing at the base of Big Sky, it's hard to imagine until you're there and you see Swift Current 6 going one direction, Ram Charger 8 going the other direction. Just the way these D-line lifts move is almost hypnotic. And there's nothing else like it in North America. It's going to get even bigger. You're going to have a 10-passenger gondola coming out of there in in a couple of years you spent a lot of time in europe i think that was a big and, part and of by the way this gondola is not your normal gondola okay this is, okay this is the next generation gondola. okay the d-line and right. with all the bells and whistles so it's going to be pretty impressive so there's nothing comparable to it in north america as far as that out of base experience you spend a lot of time in europe and i believe that influenced your first building of the ram charger 8. just talk about your experience in europe and how that's influenced you and the way you want to build big sky and ultimately What's your goal? Is big, do you want to make Big Sky the best resort in North America? Well, I, I mean, Big Sky, that's a hard, hard. We, we want it to reach its full potential. You know, whatever that ends up being, you know, yeah. where it, you know, is in the pecking order of North American resorts, winter and summer, um, you know, that's for somebody else to make the decision. You know, what was clear, you know, we built the first six place detachable, first, first triple chair in 1963, mm -hmm. the first quad chair in 65, the first six place in 92. Mm -hmm. And from 92 until 2018, America, North America, lost ground on Europe. I mean, we had the latest technology and lifts, you know, all the way till the early 90s. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, Vale had the first detachable quads. Mm -hmm. Um, they weren't in Europe. They were tea bars and trams in Europe. Obviously, the On Mountain food and beverage was pretty good in Europe at that time. But Europe really leapfrogged past the North American experience. And, and as we started going there, you know, in the last decade or so, it was becoming clear that there's a gap that needed to be filled and that we as a company and with Big Sky as the lead can help transform the North American ski experience. And, you know, Big Sky leading that transformation, hopefully going to bring other people along because the European experience has many advantages over the North America. Yes, we have some advantages too. Mm -hmm. I would say snow conditions on average, not mm -hmm. say this year, but in, yeah. on average. But the lift infrastructure, we had been leapfrogged. And by bringing these D-lines and obviously this new tram, I mean, we're, we're leapfrogging where we were in North America. And, and becoming par with the best in Europe, the Ishkals and, and the Lacks and whatnot that have leaned in with the latest technology. So uh, it, it's it's really about you know recognizing there was a gap and the food and beverage, the on mountain food and beverage is the big gap we've got to fill. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're gonna be heading down that path in the coming years. It's expensive, it's gonna be heavy lifting, but we need to transform the, the food and beverage experience to elevate it. Not, it's not all about fine dining either. It's, it's quick grab. It's, it's all kinds of different experiences that, that go with this experience. And the European experience between hotels, food and beverage, mm -hmm. the lift, lift infrastructure, and, and all the, uh, the combination of all those things together is what we're trying to you know, orchestrate here. And uh, you know, the lifts are certainly leading the charge right now as we you know, go from somewhat maybe behind the rest of North America to, to, to leapfrog. 
respecting all those factors, the best thing you have going for you here is a heck of a ski mountain. What's your favorite run off the tram? Well, I, I think the North Amer the the North Summit Snowfield is probably the most memorable for me. I mean, I certainly love going down, you know, doing laps on Lennon or Marks on a powder day, but that North Summit Snowfield, which I've only done a few times, I've only done the big Coolar twice, by the mm -hmm. way. So I'm not a I'm not like a, a, a big risk taker, but that North Summit Snowfield is like an expedition on skis and uh, it goes forever it seems mm -hmm. and you're you're kind of out there on your own and it is really memorable doing that um, in clouds or in sun it can have a completely different experience so probably that i would say yeah i did that last year with troy it was amazing best memory of the tram steven last thing today of the old tram sorry oh of the old tram well i, I i've got i've got ton of two bookends the, the first mm -hmm. time i was on it i had an extraordinarily uh, memorable experience. It wasn't necessarily a good experience. We, we, we almost lost my mother who was in the car. Yeah. Going, we, 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 we hung up the cabin before it was complete on one of the concrete, uh, buttresses. And it was a, oh my gosh, moment before we opened it, it wasn't ready for prime time. Okay. So it was very memorable, almost too memorable. It would have right. made national news if it had gone, um, you know, wrong, more wrong, I guess. So that was very memorable. And then the last time on with my family um, and my kids riding it kind of for the last time as we're kind of preparing for some of the 50th festivities that's coming up here. It was uh, a very, you know, melancholy, you know, thinking about my brother and, and you know, him have just recently passing and, and being with my family and, you know, how important it is that this, you know, legacy not only for us but for for all the community and everybody who's loves big sky you know continues so it was quite memorable all right let's walk off on that congratulations steven thank you for your time i really appreciate it and so does everyone listening thanks so much thank you yesterday i also grabbed a few minutes with cedric alig chief rigger for garaventa all right sir uh what is your name and your title on this project my name is cedric alig from Switzerland, worked with Caraventa for seven years, and my title is uh, Chief Rigger. How long have you been working on this project for? Uh, I came in April 18th, before I did some preparation, like getting the tools together and all that stuff that was before that. Now, a little bit more than a year since I got the first time here, and now we are about to finish it. And April 18th, we were here started unloading tools, containers with all the equipment. And then around mid of May, we started with the bottom terminal. Is this your and first installation in America? For you personally? The, the, and I, yeah, the whole installation, yes. I worked on a few other ones here in the States, in mm -hmm. Snowbird, in Squaw Valley. Uh -huh. uh, Palisades Tahoe, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the trams at both of those? Yeah, and the Funitel in Palisades. Oh, the Funitel, okay, okay. Out in Vermont, mm -hmm. east, to uh, detachable chairlifts, and as well in Orlando on the Funicular and the Hogwarts Express. What made you choose this project, or did you get assigned to it? Kind of choose it, and yeah. kind of got thrown in, so yeah, usually the boss asks, but sometimes you have to know. He asked me if I want to do it, and I said yes, for sure. What made this project interesting to you? Yeah. The location, the no access to the top, and yeah, the, the challenge doing mm -hmm. not having road access to, or just have road access to the bottom term. We can say it, I can yeah. say it like that. The rest was 
kind of a challenge. It wasn't always easy, but at the end, it was interesting. Yeah. What was to tell us about some of those challenges? I know, for example, you had to get a tower up there on mm -hmm. top of the peak. So, what were some of the unique challenges of this project of putting a tram to the top of Big Sky? Yeah, one. Also, it started with getting the material to the location where we needed that. Because we unloaded all, it came, everything came in a container, so we had mm -hmm. to unload that. Then we had to haul it up either to the bottom terminal or then to the yard where we flow it up. And not always easy to have enough material there or equipment there, enough steel, but as well not, not the wrong pieces. Mm -hmm. So that was already challenging to, to separate the pieces that they, we can fly them up right in time. Mm -hmm. And as well, the weather for sure. Because if if the weather was bad, we couldn't fly the men. But maybe it was good enough mm -hmm. to keep working. So we wanted to have enough steel mm -hmm. around, especially at the tower. The space was limited. So, but we wanted to have enough up there to to keep going, even the weather wasn't or it wasn't flyable weather. Of course, the weather itself. I mean, it was even if if it was a nice summer to me, the the, the weather was was rough up there. Mm -hmm. Didn't rain or snow much, but the, with the wind, it wasn't easy to to work with the tower cranes all the mm -hmm. time. So, how was uh, talk about the challenges of this project compared to some of the ones you've done in Europe? In general, America tends to have less dramatic topography when you're putting in these lifts, but Big Sky is a little bit different. So, how did it compare to some of the other projects you've worked on? For sure, the altitude, especially here, because mm -hmm. I mean we have a few installations which are higher mm -hmm. and as well exposed, but. Uh, not not that many. I mean, that's as well one of those we have now, and it's the altitude. I mean, you you don't feel it like uh, at home in Switzerland or in mm -hmm. Europe, because the tree line is way higher. You don't mm -hmm. think you're that high, mm -hmm. that that high up in altitude, but uh, once you start working, you 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 can feel it, and and then since it's I mean the name. Lone Mountain says it. It's mm -hmm. it gets the weather from every from all over from all the sides and yeah. that's that was that was tricky sometimes with seeing a thunderstorm coming in mm -hmm. and maybe have something on the crane you can you can't you can just set it up back yeah. down because it was already halfway installed and that was challenging compared to other installations and it's always hard if when you have, don't have. Uh, road or something up. Mm -hmm. At least we had the old tram. That was a huge help as well for work safety wise or like because mm -hmm. uh, I didn't want to take it down before we were done with road pulling because um, otherwise we would just have worked with nice and flyable weather because mm -hmm. if someone breaks his leg or cut, cut himself in a pretty bad spot or mm -hmm. he loses a lot of blood, yeah. it would have been impossible to rescue someone without helicopter, without the tram. How many days have you had off since April? Oh, good question. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't count them, but it's usually, uh, yeah, we work six days, mm -hmm. about 10 to 12 hours or even more, depends on. I mean, right now, since we are, we were in the commissioning time, it calmed down a bit, but in the summer we worked long days, because mm -hmm. uh, especially when the weather was good, it, we wanted to get every hour or yeah. everything done with nice weather, it's way easier. So we work six days a week. And yeah, a few Sundays I've worked. You can take a nice vacation now? Yeah, I'm gonna stay here till the, till the 28th and mm -hmm. then like for a on-call or like 
troubleshooting if necessary. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I think I'm gonna, or I think, well, looks like I'm gonna take three months off. Okay, you gonna ski? Yep. Where? Uh, back home and in Canada and here I'm coming back. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> For skiing. Where in Switzerland? What's the best spot in Switzerland do you like? To ski? Yeah. There are a lot of good spots. Yeah? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... You have a personal favorite? You're close, close to where I live. I mean, mm -hmm. I live 20 minutes from a little ski resort, but... And we have a just... Yeah, they have just tea bars there, but that's yeah. good. It's They have nice groomers. Yeah. Not that much off-piste. Yeah. But... Um, you just get the good skiers there. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay, nice. All right, so we're about to open. What's your, what are you most excited about to get this open? Just being done with it, or is there something in particular about this machine that, that sets it apart? Uh, for sure, to, to be done. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, we put a lot of work in, not just me, the whole team mm -hmm. around me. And without them, it would not have been possible to do that. Yeah. And you I mean, I'm looking forward to see uh, guests riding yeah. it and hopefully enjoy it. And yeah. unfortunately, there's not enough snow to ski the top, I think. Yeah. I don't know. But to me, it doesn't look too good to ski. Yeah. So, <laughs> but yeah, that's the biggest thing, I think. Because the rest, I know it, it's working. We did a lot of tests and mm -hmm. it's ready. What's it feel like to put in all this work and then watch it go live? Yeah, good, proud, happy. Yeah. All right, sir. Thank you very much for your time. Nice. I appreciate it. And that's my live pod on the debut of the brand new Big Sky Lone Peak Tram. It was awesome. I hope you liked that. The Storm Live is an occasional series, and I will bang out more of these. Lots more storm skiing podcasts coming your way. A couple more in 2023 and a whole bunch lined up for 2024. If you like the live series, please let me know. It is an experiment. It is something I hope to do more often, but right now it is very much an occasional piece of this whole operation. One final note on the way out the door, please subscribe to the Storm Skiing newsletter at stormskiing.com to make sure you get all of the Storm's content as soon as it is live. You can also follow the Storm on Twitter and Instagram at Storm Ski Journal. Until next time, stay well, stay safe. I'm Stuart Winchester, and I will talk to you again very soon. The Storm Skiing Podcast is a Quicksilver Films production.